I empower the people who spent the time, who are taking the time to really be masters of their craft, helping to take them out of their box and feel confident and powerful enough to really speak up and share what it is that they know. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life? Are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. I've written a book, a memoir, well, really a business memoir that follows me through my challenging life in Des Moines, Iowa, with all the twists and turns and inflection points to current day pandemic time. It will be published this year, so please go to natashamiller.co and sign up on my mailing list so you're the first to know when it's available. I'm also forming a launch team, so in case you'd like to be involved, I'll send you details about that too. I immediately liked Belinda when I first met her. She has a warm, calm demeanor, as smart as a whip, and kept me from investing about $110,000 in something that didn't really suit me at the time. She is a powerhouse LinkedIn marketer and has been teaching individuals and companies how to use influencer-style marketing strategies with great success. Now let's get right into it. As a kid, I always thought of ideas of businesses that I wanted to have. And I just so vividly remember my dad always telling me that you need to be able to like be in control of your career and have a business, even though he's not someone who's ever owned a business. So yeah, I guess to simply answer your question, I definitely think and knew that I'd always end up here, but how it happened, I would have never guessed. When I started my business, my youngest was two. And so I don't know if that's necessarily the most ideal time to start a business <laughs> because he still wasn't sleeping through the night. But I think after the year we've all had, when life throws something at you, you better be ready to catch the ball and run with it. So, yeah, I think sometimes having that chaos actually helps you focus and use your time wisely and squeeze out what you really want to be doing. So, what drew you to LinkedIn as your focus for efforts on that platform? How did you choose that platform out of everything available at the time? Yeah. So I guess the story, it really starts back in 2017. So I was on an extended maternity leave like of my own doing. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hang out for a little bit longer. And thankfully, we were in a financial position to allow me to do that. And so I was like, okay, I'm ready to go back. And after I've been applying for jobs, the traditional way, find a job, click apply, submit your resume, and that wasn't working. And that was getting really frustrating. And then I thought, oh yeah, there's like LinkedIn. I should go on there. So I went on there just really just to dust out my digital resume and try and find jobs over there. And when I signed in, I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> the platform just wasn't what it was when I left it, probably back in like 2015. I mean, legit didn't log into there for two and a half years, as I think a lot of people. So I was able to leverage being on LinkedIn and building some connections on LinkedIn to get in front of hiring managers 
And so then I got a job and said, all right, sayonara, LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> this is great. But then once I got back into the trenches of being in sales and just remembering how hard it is to get a hold of people by phone and by email, I was using LinkedIn. That's how I got this job. I wonder if it would work to get in front of prospects. And then I tried to use some of the same techniques that I did to get in front of hiring managers, to get in front of VPs of marketing, because that's who my target audience was. And it worked. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and that's really where it all started. It was out of a need to be seen by a particular person. And I think for a lot of people who want to leverage LinkedIn, that's where their story starts too. And did you immediately log in as a pro user? Were you paying for the service? Or did you come to that later in the progression of your research? Like I didn't come in as a pro user. So I have tinkered with it. And my thoughts with using LinkedIn premium is just like any other business resource, you've got to make sure that you're actually using it. Like LinkedIn premium isn't cheap, right? It's a very good investment, but only if you're actually using it and leveraging it. So for me, I would say the majority of the time that I spent on LinkedIn before it became my full-time gig, I wasn't a premium user. I used the free version. And a lot of what I teach people for how you connect on LinkedIn, having premium isn't going to make it easier for you to connect with anyone. It'll give you access to some more information, but it's kind of like, if you give me a book on brain surgery, I'm going to look at you and be like, well, what do you want me to do with this? (laughs) Having the data and the information isn't what makes you a brain surgeon. It's actually knowing what to do with the scalpel. And I am happy to leave that to the trained profession. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to dive deep into what you do and why and how it works. But in general, you coach people to, and I'm reading off your LinkedIn profile, confidently claim their space within their industry and business and sales strategies that allow them to build businesses that are in alignment with how they want to live their lives and whom they want to serve. So I would like to know your process and what makes what you do for people on LinkedIn, what's your differentiation point? So I think the first differentiation point with who I am and how it is that I teach things is one of the first things I tell people on like a prospect call is, listen, if you're trying to be a viral superstar on LinkedIn, like I'm not that person. I'm connected and have a personal relationship with someone who's really good at that. And I'm happy to put you in their direction. Wait, who is a LinkedIn superstar? Give me an example. I would say Shay Robottom. So her and I, we have completely different styles on how we approach LinkedIn, both of us successful in our own right. And like she knows how to make content go viral on LinkedIn. I know of the ways to make content viral on LinkedIn, but she's like really got that process down. Okay, so let's back up one second because something going viral on LinkedIn is a little bit of a brain shift from what can go viral on other platforms. So can you give an example? I know this is kind of going away from what you do, but to illustrate the differentiation, what is something that went viral on LinkedIn? Yes. So virality really is different for different people. So if you have, let's say, 500 connections on LinkedIn and a post of yours gets, let's say, 15,000 views, That would be considered something that went viral because based on how many people your content would have been exposed to 
with the algorithm compared to how many views you went. Obviously, the algorithm picked it up and showed it to a bunch of people and it kept moving through the algorithm until it stopped, right? Versus, let's say somebody has 20,000 connections on LinkedIn and they get the same 15,000 views, that wouldn't be considered a viral piece of content because their content would have been exposed to that many more people. The more connections you have or followers that you have, and this is the same on any platform really, because they're all just copying each other at this point. But the more followers and connections you have, the more views you need to have in order for something to be considered viral. But as like a general rule of thumb, if a piece of content gets like a million views, it's like pretty much viral. What is the limit of people that can follow you on LinkedIn? The limit of followers, I don't believe that there's a limit of followers. There is a limit to how many connections you can have. That's what I mean, sorry. So in terms of first degree connections, so these are people who can direct message you, you click the invitation and you say yes, that's 30,000, which is a lot. I mean, I can't remember 30,000 people. Do you think (laughs) they limit it so they limit the automation and the robots and the false connections? From what I understand for the founders of LinkedIn, their idea was that they wanted people originally to only connect with people that they knew. So for us OG LinkedIn users, there was a time where like you had to have someone's email address and you had to write, how do you know this person? What company do you know them from? I mean, they were like really wanted all the details. And if you didn't have that information, they're like, you don't actually know this person. They wanted to facilitate connections online for people who knew each other offline. And so things have opened up a lot, which is great. But the basis of the platform really was to allow for people to connect with their professional colleagues online that they knew offline. So let's get back to you and what you do within your business for people on LinkedIn and outside of LinkedIn. Yeah. So since I don't turn people into viral superstars, really my focus is helping people who are experienced, are a subject matter expert, and they essentially are looking for others to know this, for them to build a personal brand that sells and that they can leverage for the other components of their lives that they're looking for. So maybe they're looking to get featured in Forbes and they'd like to be approached by these larger publications, or they have a consulting business and they want for when people to search them and look for their name and their profile to come up that people feel at ease and they feel like, okay, you're someone who can handle this level of business. Um, Those are the people that I'm really targeting and that I work with. So I really, really enjoy working with experienced professionals because I find that experienced professionals, the overachievers are the ones who don't like wave the flag of this is how amazing I am. And it drives me crazy because you have a bunch of little squeakers at the bottom who like know nothing. (laughs) And they're the ones who speak up the loudest. So I empower the people who spent the time, who are taking the time to really be masters of their craft and helping to take them out of their box and feel confident and powerful enough to really speak up and share what it is that they know to position them as experts, but also to attract the kind of people that they want into their professional networks. So let me ask you to give an example. So behind you is a book by the incredible Chris Moss who is just blowing my mind this year. Now he has a platform. A lot of people know him. A lot of people don't know him. And I'm going to make the assumption that his LinkedIn profile probably today 
isn't as robust as it could be because it doesn't need to be because of his platform currently. But what if Chris Boss didn't have the platform he had right now? How would you guide him? Because he is absolutely an expert in his field. How would you guide someone like him to have a presence on LinkedIn in order to get books sold and clients booked, et cetera? Absolutely. So what I would say is, For people to think about LinkedIn as the way that people buy. So when I started out in sales more than 10 years ago, salespeople were the gatekeeper. If you wanted any information about anything, you had to go through me, the salesperson. Nowadays, people are spending probably 70% of the buying process just looking up information. So with that in mind, if someone's looking you up online to see, are you the real deal or not? That means your LinkedIn profile needs to be really strong. Your profile needs to be speaking to someone and not just speaking about you. I always tell people that the glory is in your story. So you want to share your story of who you're trying to impact and also why you are an expert in what it is that you do. So I'd say, Chris, you got to make sure you have a really strong profile. Who are we speaking to? And is he speaking in first person? That's how you advise? Okay. He's speaking in the first level. Yes. Even someone at his level, because it's about creating that human to human connection. I always compare it to having a bonfire versus you being on the stage, kind of pontificating down onto every people beneath you. Is there any time when the bio should be in third person, in your opinion? In my opinion, no. Like, Barack Obama. Yeah, even Barack Obama. Because when I'm going to his profile, I want to see him as a person because it's a personal brand. And when you think of your personal brand, yes, it's about you, but it's also about connecting personally to other people. Yeah, I want to take this time to stress for all the listeners that once upon a time, my bio was in third person. I thought at the level that I was in the world that I needed to have a more professional output. And then I've heard on and on and on, it should be I, me, like I'm talking about myself and I really hesitated and I did change it. And I just wondered from experts like you, does that really apply to everyone? So you answer the question. So if you're listening to this and you have a third person bio, as if somebody wrote it about you, consider changing it if you want to get more leads or if you want to get more connections with the people that you're trying to target. Okay, keep going, Belinda. And to kind of to expand on what you're saying, the third person creates space. Because I remember too, that when I started out, I felt like I need to be in the third person to exude myself as this someone of stature, right? But when you are trying to get people to connect with you, you want to minimize the amount of space that you have between you and the person and what is going to elevate you, what is going to make the people take you seriously is the story. Barack Obama has the respect that he has because he was the 44th president of the United States. He doesn't have to talk to the third person. We all know who he is. So people will respect you because of how you tell your story and that's what's going to carry you. So that's that. Make sure you have a really strong profile that speaks in the first person to who you want to speak to and about you as well. The second thing that people want to, or that Chris should take into account is creating content. So 
the value of information is not it being in here. If you think of J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter series, it started out in her head. If it was still in there, she wouldn't be like a bajillionaire. So you become a bajillionaire because you share what's in your head and you put it out into the world. So that's where creating content comes in. But the power of LinkedIn, I would say, is in commenting and connecting with people on a commenting level. And I'm always bringing my clients through and I'm like, okay, the water's cold. I understand you're afraid of going in the water. Let's just put our foot in first. And so you put your foot in by commenting and you start out with saying, hey, this was a great post. This is really interesting. But then you need to expand on that. Then you tell people why you thought it was interesting and you start sharing your perspective. So if I was coaching Chris, I'd say, all right, so you are really get great at negotiating. You could give advice about two salespeople on posts. So let's say you see a post about getting a prospect to say yes to a meeting and then say as an ex-FBI negotiator, hostage negotiator, in my experience, this is how I got people to say yes to the things I wanted to say. And then now you're sharing your expertise in a comment. And so you're adding to the conversation that's happening on LinkedIn And without getting too crazy about the algorithm, the algorithm actually shares your comments the same way it shares content. So it's a really great way for you to get your expertise and your knowledge out into the world without necessarily having to put out new pieces of content every day. That's a great tip right there, because what I think you're saying is your comments and your interactions via the algorithm count just as much as you publishing a standalone piece. Mm -hmm. So the next time you go onto LinkedIn, I want you guys, like all of the listeners to take a minute and to, when you go into your home feed at the very top of a piece of content, it's going to say Jane Doe commented on this or Tom Jones liked this post. What happens is unlike a lot of other social media platforms, LinkedIn is going to show you certain content based on the activity and behaviors of those that you're connected to. So the longevity and the power of comments is just is explosive on LinkedIn. And then lastly, the power of LinkedIn is in who you're connected with. So it's not just connecting with people with whom you're hoping to do business with, but also people who you think are interesting or maybe they're funny or they do something that you're never going to sell them. They live in Dubai, so you're never going to see them, but they just have an interesting business perspective and you're just curious about what they have to say. I mean, I follow advice of resume writers all the time and it's not like I'm polishing off my resume, but they're just interesting people who have interesting perspectives and the best content creators on LinkedIn aren't only talking to their prospects. They have content that is applicable to everyone and not just to their prospects. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. Number one, it's free. Number two, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. 
about that. There's different (laughs) ways to create and share content on LinkedIn. And let me ask you a question. So I am getting content pushed to me from Kara Golden, who Mm -hmm. is the founder of Hint Water. She just launched a book and she's very, very successful. And so I'm getting her, I think, newsletters to my inbox because I probably have opted in. So can you talk about the various places where you can create and share content on LinkedIn? Yes. Okay. If you asked me this about a year and a half ago, it'd be a lot easier (laughs) because LinkedIn has come out with a lot. So there's the basic text post, content post. It's like a Word document. 1300 characters, say what you want to say and click publish. You can also share photos. You can also upload PDF documents. So this is a really great way if you have a lot of really interesting content for you to repurpose it into a PDF document and put it onto LinkedIn. And the algorithm really likes when people post documents. So there's a a fun little tip for you. LinkedIn has polls, which is interesting. So you say, hey, what's your favorite color? Blue, yellow, green, red. I'm going to stop you there at polls because I did a poll on LinkedIn. I've only done one. And the question I had was about LinkedIn. And this is the question. I'd love to know your stance on this too. Do you accept requests for connection (laughs) from people you don't know? This is a complicated answer. So I need everyone to just hear me out through to the end. I think that yes, you can, I should say, can accept connection requests from people who you don't know because Let's say, for instance, who you don't know may be the person who is going to help you elevate and become the next step in your career. You just never know. But with that being said, I do believe in people, in people's right to not necessarily have a completely open network where they just accept anyone. Because at the end of the day, as I mentioned very early on in this episode, once you become a first degree connection with someone, they have a lot more access to you. So now they can start sending you direct messages. And I've had people send me direct messages that are less than positive. And you only have 30,000 of them that you can have. So I'm not one of those LinkedIn quote unquote experts who believes in, oh, you should connect with anyone because I don't believe you can. One, you can't do business with everyone. It's just from a capacity perspective, you can't. The reason why you have Target versus Walmart, right? So you can't do business with everyone. I think that it does make sense to be a little judicious on who you do welcome into your network. But I do think that it is in your best interest to at least be open to connecting with people with whom you may not know because you just never know. But also be just as happy to disconnect with people who don't seem to take a hint because it is your social media platform, like you control your experience on it. So if someone's harassing you, or you just don't like the way someone is talking to you, like, you don't have to ask permission, just to say, you know what, this is not working out for me. So if you got a connection today after this, would you qualify them? Would you do a quick search to see, does it in general feel like a good connection? Yeah. So I do judge people on how they treat others on LinkedIn. So if you are a racist or a bigot, if you don't like black people, you're probably not going to like me. So, and that's, look, free country, do what you want, but I will judge you based on the content of your character. So if I see you treating other people poorly, it's a good chance that you're going to treat me poorly and I'm not going to welcome you into my network. And I do like to see profiles and this is not 
a steadfast rule, but this is my suggestion to anyone who is actively connecting with people. It is a good idea to have a profile picture up there and fill out some information. It's like if I was shopping on, you know, Rodeo Drive and there's a store like with nothing on the clothing racks, am I going to go into the store? I'm going to go, they're probably not open for business. So if you can add a little bit of something to your profile to make it seem to people that you are active on LinkedIn, that would be a really strong suggestion that I would make. Okay. Continuing on how you can create and share content. What are some other ways? So polls, then LinkedIn has their own version of stories, which I'm personally not in love with. There's a lot of things that is left to be desired with the UX or the user experience, but stories do exist. You can upload videos. And if you're uploading a video, I would suggest that you upload a video native to LinkedIn versus a link from, let's say, it being hosted on Vimeo or YouTube. And there are articles. I really like articles because you have a lot of space to really show the depth of your knowledge and your expertise. There are newsletters, which are different from articles in the sense that people can subscribe to them. So it's like if you had a newsletter within a newsletter platform, they have the same thing on LinkedIn. And is there anything else? That There's I'm a live to? feature now. Oh, right? yeah. So live. But I hate mentioning live because everyone. Exactly. I only just got live like maybe a month and a half ago and I still haven't done anything with it. But I was like very vocal about it to like everyone. I'm like, I am dare very to not give me live. Because I'm like a child where I just wanted it because everyone else had it. And then the moment I got it, I was like, oh, okay, that's it. I just wanted it. <laughs> that's all I did. I didn't but actually want to do anything with it. You share your videos on LinkedIn all the time. Why not go live? What is that stopgap for you? I think for me, I'm still in the part of my life where I had a two and a half year old running around and it was like, I could have five minutes of free time, but minute six and I've got a kid running in and my son for any of my clients, he's met all of my clients. And I'm talking about CEOs, like he could give two cahoots. I've run workshops with like 30 people at like some Fortune 500 companies and he's waltzing in because COVID. And he's like, hi guys, what are you doing? (laughs) So I just think in my mind, I'm still at that beginning stage where it's like, I'm just hoping I can make it through. I do have plans to go live. It's just, I got to pull the trigger. So I want everyone to know, because I really trust you And because of the way we met, because of how you helped me, which is a whole nother story, how you helped me not spend $110,000 a month on digital marketing, always be thankful for that. But I'd love to have people understand what the process is to work with you. And so let's talk about that as if I'm hiring you, which I very much likely will be doing after this. So for someone at my level or a little bit higher or a little bit lower, what are your options for working with you? So moving into 2021, things are quite interesting. So I'm in the process of creating a self-paced course for people where the information that I teach my one-on-one coaching clients, I'm synthesizing it into a whole course for both individuals as well. Really the push is from like a corporate perspective. Corporate's like, we want online learning. And I'm like, okay, sure, I can do that. (laughs) So it's a self-paced version, bringing people through my framework for how to leverage a personal brand on LinkedIn that sells. So there's that. 
And in the past, I've done things like master classes. So back in December, I had one where I was focused on direct messaging. I think people don't talk enough about direct messaging. Everyone but... needs to learn how to do that because everyone's doing it wrong. <laughs> I know. Because and... everyone keeps spending 20 bucks a month to get a bunch of automated messages sent. And I'm always like, stop doing it. <laughs> yes, it's tragic. It is. But I think that the reason why people do that is because is because there's still that old school frame of mind where it's like spray and pray, just get through your book of a thousand people, someone's going to buy from you. It's just so easy for people to ignore you now. Whereas before, it's like people always picked up the phone. Like I remember when I started, I would call and someone would answer or they would return my voicemail. I now will only like, answer my phone if I see your name coming up. Exactly. Like, I don't know you leave a message. And even then, like, I think I have five voicemails right now. Like, there's no guarantee you're going to get me <laughs> just because you leave a voicemail because I don't know you. So um, are you doing one on one coaching? Are you still doing group coaching? Yes. So I do for a very, like, select few people do one on one coaching. And the reason why for anyone who is doing any kind of consulting work or coaching, the one thing that no one seems to talk about is you have to be really selective about who you choose to work with because especially coaching, it's a very intimate experience and there's a big energy exchange and there's what you're giving. We're also taking on a lot from the client too, right? So I think this whole idea, like I'm going to get as many clients as I can, which is one, again, there's only so many clients you can take on. But when you're working with people one-on-one, -on -one, like you've really got to not just love what you do, you got to love the clients too. You don't want to 10 minutes before the call, you're like, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to make it through the next hour? Because then you're not going to be able to show up as the best version of yourself too. So it's a very select group of people or type of person that I'll work with that starts with, you have to have a minimum of 10 years experience. I mean, I'm not the chef who's going to go into the fridge and like find leftovers and turn it into like a Michelin star dinner. That's not what I do. I work with people who have the experience and we're turning, come to me with clay and then we can turn it into something really magical. But don't come to me with like some dirt and some water and say, let's do something. We're just going to end up with dirt and water. <laughs> so those are my, it's, I work with experienced professionals who have a passion for what it is that they do. I mean, that's really important. If you want to go on LinkedIn because you want to be famous, again, that's not me. You're already passionate about what it is that you do and you're just trying to translate it into the way people are doing business and how they're showing up in 2021. And when will your course be launching? So my course actually launches on January 17th. Is it evergreen or are you dripping it out? It is evergreen. So the version that goes live over the next four weeks from the 17th, it's my beta version. So that's where I'm asking everyone. I'm like, you guys tear this apart. You can tear me apart. Say, Belinda, this part was trash. This part was great. Or, hey, this was way too high level. You needed to go a little bit deeper because you have blind spots once you've been doing something for a very long time, right? So it'll be the beta launch for four weeks into February. And then after that, it's going to be available evergreen for people. You just land on our website and you say, hey, I want to get LinkedIn smart. There you go. You can grab the blueprint. I love it. I'm so glad that you're doing that. So I'm curious about how being an entrepreneur in Canada is different from here in the U.S. And in your opinion, what benefits do you enjoy? And do you even know because you're not here? 
Right. Okay. So I'm like the worst Canadian for you to ask this question because I, about 98, 99% of my clients are American. Like I'm the Canadian when everyone's like, oh, America this, America that. And I'm like, actually, those are my friends. <laughs> We're not going to be mean to the Americans, okay? I mean, it's, um, it's, it's very challenging time right now, but and I apologize on behalf of our crazy country, but continue. It's one of those things where I describe it as everyone in their family has that drunk uncle. And depending on what alcohol has, it's like, is this the fun? Is this the fun uncle? Or is this the uncle who has drank way too much? Right now, I feel like Unks has drunk a little bit too much. And we just need him to sober up. <laughs> and that's what the world is waiting for. As a Canadian, I just need y'all to fix it because I want the border to open up. Because I'm in the States all the time. I mean, my family, we are suffering. My kids are like, mom, when can we go back to Florida? And I'm like, honey, I don't know. <laughs> well, you guys won't let us in at all. And I don't blame you. But as far as entrepreneurship. Okay, so entrepreneurship. Yeah. I think that when you're trying to build a business, and I think that it's both a blessing and a curse. When you're building a business and you're not worried about losing health insurance or trying to make enough so you can quickly afford health insurance, it puts you in a privileged position, Right. I think that our social Especially system, for you. I mean, you have a family. Exactly. It would be so, slightly less risky if you were single. That's a great point. Okay, keep going. I knew you would be able to answer this well. <laughs> Thank you. So I just think that when you have certain social supports, and I know that there are other social supports that I never took advantage of just because I have, you know, an ego, but at the very basic one, if we're comparing Canada and the United States, it's knowing that if I get sick and I didn't make a dollar for the next three months, I would be okay. And that's a huge privilege. But I think that the curse part of that is, is sometimes you don't have that fire. And I think that that's what makes America... Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. That's what makes don't America say it. great. Don't say it. Oh God. <laughs> she said it. She said it. <laughs> But I didn't go all the way with the saying, but that's what makes America great full stop. Why the innovation is so amazing. Don't hate me. I do think that there are certain things that could be done with some changes, but I'm Canadian, so don't listen to me. But I do think that there are certain structural reasons why some of the greatest, coolest, most amazing things come out of the United States. And it's because there is this fire under you when you know that if I get sick, I'm on my own. And that makes you think about things really different. It makes you get your butt out of bed at three o'clock in the morning. And so it's something where I always respect just American ingenuity. It's just really, really cool. So I think that's the biggest thing is just the social setup. But then again, I find that Americans are really easy to do business with. When I talk to Canadians, like, oh, what's it like working with Americans? And I'm like, they're freaking awesome. I find that Americans are really open to new ideas. And that's great for someone like me. I mean, I've been going around telling people up until maybe middle last year, the idea of someone's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you about LinkedIn. They're like, who, what, why would I do that? But at least most people in America are at least open. They're like, okay, well, if you're teaching about LinkedIn, there's probably something about it that I don't know. So let me at least think about it. So that's an um, opportunity. We see everything as an opportunity. I wonder, exactly. and I can look this up, if there are more entrepreneurs per capita in the US compared to Canada. 
I would bet like a thousand dollars on that. I just think, yeah, I think that that research is probably out there and it probably there are more entrepreneurs per capita in the U.S. than there are here. So what strategy will you be focusing on this year to grow your business? We already sort of touched on it because of your course coming out, but is there one special sauce strategy that you're really going to focus on? Things are changing in the Belinda world of marketing, but I think, so there will be more, which is before all of my marketing and my strategy was all in the confines of LinkedIn, all LinkedIn all the time. What's next? Right. What's next? So I'm building up more of my personal brand where I'm doing some stuff on LinkedIn. Not on LinkedIn. Oh my gosh. See, like it's like default, (laughs) but I'm doing some stuff on YouTube. I'm building my brand over on Instagram some more, which has been really fun. I just feel like I like finally registered. Okay. So this is the whole story. Are you in? I am. I'm in. Okay. Because I was going to let you in. Oh my gosh. You're my people. I'll find you. Thank you. So I have, and for those of you who are listening, I'm about to pull out two phones. So I've got an iPhone and then I switched to a freaking Android because my husband, bad idea. I know. And you don't have access to Clubhouse. But I do because one of my friends gave me an invite like months ago. And then I finally used it. And so I powered this up so that I could get on Clubhouse. And it's really cool. It's really cool. But that wasn't part of my strategic plan a couple of weeks ago. But I do see me leveraging the platform. But I'm a lurker. I'm someone who will lurk and kind of see what's going on. And then I'll pounce. So to answer your question, I'm doing more YouTube, more Instagram. So just really showing people a little more Belinda holistically and not just Belinda the super professional. And then also more email marketing. Oh, and I also have a podcast. (laughs) See all the things. So my podcast is all around Claim Your Space. It's called the Claim Your Space podcast. And really it's about helping people to claim their space in their industry. So if I can help people visualize and I explain it in my very first episode like what the heck is claim your space but women will understand this more so than men but there's always people who will sit down in a chair and they'll open their legs and just take up the space and that's what I want people to do within their industry sit down spread your books and just like own it claim your space because there is a seat for you at the table but if you do not take the seat somebody else will And that's it. You just got to move in and be like, I'm taking it. I am here. I've worked hard in order to get the level of success and experience and expertise that I have. And I'm about helping people like just own it, own it, be proud of it, be unapologetic about it. And that's what the podcast and just my greater personal brand is really all about. I think that the word empowerment is kind of overused. It's become like a buzzword, but that's really what I'm about. It's like, you've earned it. Now go and enjoy it, right? And it's like having a bunch of money and just letting it sit in the bank. Let some of it sit in the bank and then go enjoy the rest of it. So we learned about various elements of how to market on LinkedIn, what makes LinkedIn content viral, and how to build your personal brand and leverage it. For more information about Belinda Aramadi and her LinkedIn course, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. I'm putting the finishing touches on a digital course for entrepreneurs to learn how to scale and grow their companies and find more profit in their current revenue. To download the free profit finder guide that I've created, 
and also to put yourself on the wait list for the course. Go to natashamiller.co. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.